You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 560, Glastonbury, 50 years and counting, trigger warnings and double standards, and the endless Beatles versus the Stones debate. That's all coming up after Levelers and Battle of the Beanfield. Documenting the terrible event in June 1985 when Wiltshire police attacked a convoy of vehicles that shipped in shipped in Bellinger. Um, like me, Simon Friend watched the footage on TV. Unlike me, he wrote this protest song about what happened. It taken from their album Leveling the Land, released in 1991, The Levelers and Battle of the Beanfield. I saw the Levelers years and years ago as a teenager. I think I think for for people of my generation, everybody saw the Levelers as a teenager. I think yeah. that was something you had to do. And I bought a horrible T-shirt that my whole family hated. <laughs> and I've I saw them weirdly. This is when they'd obviously gone legit. This must have been 
2000 or 2001 i would say around that time the levelers by this point not not you know involved in battling in beanfields but i saw them at the lovely confines of bedbury pinetum in a, <laughs> in east sussex and mm. people took picnics and we watched them sing oh, and it was very fun they were perhaps a different different version of the levelers than they originally started out but no i'm very pro the levelers and i'm actually very pro the fact that they are committed to their ideals actually i really i really admire the fact that they've never they've never really gone huge have they because they've never really quote unquote sold out and i admire that really i i they, they've stayed true to who they are i actually you know when the battle of the beanfield took place and it was on mm. tv um i actually wrote an outraged letter to mrs thatcher oh, about did it, you? handwritten yeah you know, hand, hand oh, in green on. ink but no good for you <laughs> though and um it got passed on to the home office and I actually got this really lukewarm tame reply, <laughs> reply signed yeah. by Leon Britton, then the home oh secretary. Oh my goodness, uh, wow. Friend the, to the, I say friend to the stars and neither of those things is true in that no, sentence, indeed, I think. No, but, no, uh, well, unfortunately, uh, I did not write a letter on account of, I'm afraid to say, only being one years old at the time. Right, yeah. So, yeah. You're very welcome to join us for Parish Council episode mm. 560. I'm Terence Stackham. And, well, no, look, we better just check. Is she coming to us live from the Pyramid Stage at Glastonbury? <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. Uh, Billy Harris slash Juliet Eilish. No, sadly, I'm not on the Pyramid Stage. I've outsourced that to Billy. I'm sure she'll absolutely smash it. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm coming to you live from my, uh, my spare room, as always. And uh, delighted. Happy Glastonbury weekend to you and to you all. Thank you very much. I, the, the, we're recording this on Friday evening. The coverage has just started on BBC, and yes, you know already. I'm, I'm, I'm. I've watched an hour of it. Why, oh, why, oh, why do we have to have the Joe Wileys of this world every <laughs> year? You know, simpering and, and 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 just talking all about how you know they're wearing wellies and what about the atmosphere? It's a great atmosphere. Just let us see the acts. Mm. We don't need in depth lols and bants from presenters i say it every year i'll let it go i mean you and you also say every year you'll let it go and then you yes, don't I and do. i just point never out do. i know it's tempting to think that any band would leap through God, hoops of fire to appear at glastonbury mm. but i was reading an interview with michael evis this week in which he talked about some of the artists and bands that have declined to appear over the years mm. uh, elton john said and i quote i don't think i'm a glastonbury act Fleetwood Mac often rumoured mm. never Bill. Well, and the rumours of Fleetwood Mac, right? Exactly, yes. Um, and apparently, despite being offered huge sums of cash, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd both have said no, or perhaps mm. not enough of the surviving band members yes. want to do it. Here's a quick quiz question for you, Jules. Here we oh, are. Here we go, yeah. Here we go. Who has played Glastonbury most times? I would never have got this right, and it isn't Coldplay. Um, who's, uh, they seem like they're on every year, but isn't. So who, which artist or band has played Glastonbury most times? I wouldn't have got it. Hmm, I sense I'm not going to get this right, probably. I'll give you, um, I'll give you a mini clue. He's, okay, he, a mini clue. He has played seven times, 82, 87, 89, 92, 93, 97, 2005. Oh, I was going to say Bowie, but those dates don't work. Um, 
he wouldn't get on at the moment uh, because he wouldn't wear a mask if he if he was uh, Van Morrison. Van Morrison. Goodness seven me. times. I mean, uh, that is six and a half times too many. Although I have to <laughs> say, I did watch the excellent film Belfast the other week, which I hadn't oh, got round to watching. No, Ken Branagh's film. It, yeah. uh, it's. I would recommend it. It's excellent. Mm. And actually, the Van Morrison soundtrack works really well. There's right. one newly recorded song, but but. It's it's a really beautiful film and actually it must be beautiful because it's it's made me slightly put a dent in my anti-van sentiment. Mm-hmm. He's anti-vax, I'm anti-van, but yes, um, not not obviously still not a big fan of his views, but no, it's a, it was yeah. a good use of his music. It made better sense in that context, and I suspect better sense. I don't know if he'd make sense at Glastonbury or not. Uh, Elton John so, shows a lot of self-awareness in saying he's not a Glastonbury mm. act. I think he would have gone down very well about ten years ago. I think. Well, that might so. have been his time, I think. So the scoreboard is um, Van Morrison 7, mm-hmm. C- uh, Coldplay 4, C- The I Cure was... 4. Where are Orbital in this? Because they um, the... felt like they were on every year at one They're point. They're not in the top five because I've got Radiohead 4 and then Oasis 3. But I, Oh, I that's haven't... interesting. I, are, are these people that have headlined the Pyramid stage? I think say? so. I think oh, is. That, I think that, makes headlines, yeah. that makes more sense. That makes more sense. Um, this week, as it is Glastonbury weekend, as we say, um, as we're recording this, we've been watching Glastonbury 50 Years and Counting, a BBC documentary looking at the changes over the years and the development of the festival behind the scenes. What, what do you think, Jules? Is this worth seeking out on the iPlayer? Oh, very much so, I would say. Absolutely. And I think when there was no Glastonbury, the last year or the year before, we talked about the Julian Temple film, um, which we very much enjoyed for uh, various reasons, not least because it didn't really have a um, it it didn't have a, a narration and it didn't really have any talking heads. It was just a film. Now, this did have talking heads, but it still didn't have narration. This was a very different way of doing a music documentary. And we've watched quite a lot of music films and music documentaries documentaries and talked about them on this on the last couple of years and I really liked the fact that although there were some talking heads we often saw them on parts of the Glastonbury site which I thought worked really well so Mm. they would have like Emily Evis either in the surrounding countryside or like with large boxes with different stage labels on them in the yes. background where I thought that was really I really liked that and yeah. Michael Evis in his in it with his cows and all that kind of stuff and that felt a lot more natural and the way this was structured was really interesting because they it wasn't really chronological. So it wasn't like, although there was talk about how they set it up at the beginning, they would jump from different years to different years. And they did it like thematically in the same way as I think some people order their books in colour order. This ordered this in like an order of mood and it worked really well, I thought. I really liked the fact that we saw different music from different eras. So the the, the sort of the travellers bit was and and we get we get soundtracks so we get songs coming and performances would sort of be slotted in in different things and it worked really well so we would have um it started off with them talking about them backing cnd and the apocalypse and we started in 81 talking about cnd but we saw uh portishead performing machine gun from much later than that but it really made sense it really fitted the sort of the mood we had pj harvey's brilliant performance on the pyramid stage in 2016 just after brexit doing the glorious land that was not happening at the time of the battle of the beanfield but it worked really well as again as a sort of a mood we saw some great performances some ones you don't always really see we saw some archive footage of morrissey it was quite nice to remember the way he was (laughs) rather than the way that 
he is now. It was, I thought it was really clever and it really captured the slightly chaotic sort of the atmosphere of Glastonbury, the fact that the Lost Vegas stage an area, the fact that certain things have sort of changed. Well, I think we've talked previously about how when I say it's become more corporate, it is very much to be admired because it does not take corporate sponsors. And that's what's kept it different, I think, to all of the other festivals, even though it's far more formalised than it once was. And there are always people that are going to be unhappy about that. It is still a different beast. It's still the biggest alternative festival there is genuinely alternative i think although some of the the lineup might to some feel a bit more homogenized now i i I thought this was really captured the spirit and it's a special place i've never been to the festival i think you have and we'll talk about that but i've been to the place of glastonbury and it's very easy to think that Paul McCartney's (laughs) comments in you know sort of his friend that was like hey man that lived there but i visited the place in non-festival times and it is genuinely a really special place that has a really different atmosphere that is slightly magical actually i did go as an impressionable teenager i must admit but my fond memories of us me and my parents being in the middle of glastonbury high street and it was tipping down with rain and a very hippie-ish looking young woman that had long dyed purple hair and a nose ring and a big long sort of paisley skirt that was working in some shop was obviously set outside to bring the sign in and was dancing to this sort of mm. blaring dance music while she was doing so and we were all rather charmed by her despite the fact that it was really not my dad's thing at all and there, there's just something about the place that that draws people in because it is so special and and i i just i love this it really made reminded me how much i love glastonbury as a festival how much i enjoy it every year how much how much it meant to a lot of us i think when they showed in the 2020 summer lockdown when nothing was sort of happening the bbc gave over the whole weekend to glastonbury and that was such a wise move to do and they did it similarly last year not as big i don't think but there was something so uplifting about seeing these big performances, the Adele's, the Radioheads, mm. the REM doing Everybody Hurts, those huge communal moments that were poignant when they weren't happening. And I, I just I love this. I I could easily have watched it again straight after it finished. I thought it I thought everyone that contributed contributed in a good spirit, I thought. And and I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was a very uplifting thing. Yes, I really loved Glastonbury fifty years and counting. Um as you mentioned, um uh, Sir Paul McCartney spoke a bit bashfully about the ley lines, but yes. despite being uh, a cynical sort of chap myself, like you, I always I feel a change as I approach the area. I feel differently mm. in Glastonbury Festival or just generally. And in this documentary, I think uh, Florence Welch and Tom York spoke very positively positively about feeling uh, the same way. Mm. Um, and I think. One thing that is very apparent is that you can't really equate the television coverage of Glastonbury with the reality of the live experience. It's a Mm. multi-sensory thing when you're there. It just doesn't translate um, on TV. Although the early early 1970s were my peak festival-going years. I Mm. didn't go to Glastonbury back then at all. And looking at this documentary, I think I'm rather glad because it all seemed a bit wicker man um, with terrible toilet facilities back in the (laughs) early 70s. But yeah, Glastonbury 50 years and counting. Um, Like you say, not a chronological history lesson, more a a really well-constructed 
um, tapestry of the of the festival placed in context of the of, of the cultural climate of each era and also as you say i was at glastonbury um i was there in the last year without the fence and it was awful uh, a terrible atmosphere uh, mr Revis in the in the documentary says an additional 100,000 entered without paying i've got to say it felt like double that um mm. it, 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 you, it was just awful but then um the super fence went up and it made a magical difference i went mm. then that next year i still feel or, or felt then that the numbers are too high i know they've got to make money mm. i know it's got to pay for it. but i would let fewer people in to allow a more comfortable experience moving around but mm. certainly the modernization in the 2000s with a new de- generation of artists headlining you know recent years we've had jay-z beyonce yes. do a lip billy eilish this year stormzy and stormzy. actually i really admired michael evis for saying mm. we probably were too slow in trying mm. to diversify the festival there was a good article by stephanie phillips i can't remember which publication it was in but it's available you can find it on twitter um about sort of why Glastonbury is so white the festival going audience and yeah. which is interesting but no I, I it takes a lot in a sort of a what I liked about Michael Levis in this film was although it was a sort of an official film in that they agreed to talk it wasn't well, I think I've I always make the point when something is official you only get a sanitized story and for him to say we should have got Stormzy or somebody like that sooner I thought was really brave I really enjoyed that although they did have Jay-Z famously Mm. Well, you know, I'm intrigued by that. I mean, maybe I'm being very, very naive because Lenny Henry talked about this last week mm. as well, very much in the media about Glastonbury being too white. It's a ballot. So mm. anybody can apply. So yes, maybe but what, it, missing... what is what is it that is not making it making uh, sort of mm. black and ethnic minority people wanting to apply? Yeah. Uh, maybe that's mm. that's it. To which I'd, I don't really have the answer because it's not a threatening sort of mm. place I, I do you know because i don't i'm i'm not sure i do but i think but i would certainly recommend for anybody that wants to think about that i'd recommend reading around this i think mm. well according to the bbc glastonbury 50 years and counting is only on the iplayer for the next 20 days so i think we and both I, say yeah i would get it. on it yeah absolutely mm. coming next are television companies becoming too trigger happy with their warnings and censorship? That's right after Sleeper. I told you like the mister 
Terence and I sort of take it in terms to pick tunes and we talk about them. I could just do this in one single sentence. I picked this because it bangs at the end. I really <laughs> love this tune. I think it, it it sort of re- rattles along so impressively. I mean, entertainingly, I saw Sleep. So this was this was sort of Sleeper's heyday. I saw them in, I think it was 2017 when they very first reformed. They're selling big amounts of records again now, Sleeper, or at least reasonable amounts of records and are playing bigger venues again. And their reformation seems to have been a success compared to lots of bands in that era that that reform and then play academy sized venues but um i am um, i went to see them in the haunt which i think is now possibly chalk in brighton i can't remember what it's called now it's one of those venues that always seems to change its name but i went with my friend from school and we saw their first show back and our view at the end of it was that louise wenner was a considerably better singer now than she had been in the day mm. which was quite interesting mm. but um Still a big fan of this tune. I love the lyrics. I think it's so well observed, that kind of semi-detached suburbia and Essex from whence they came. I love that. It's In Betweener by Sleeper. Fantastic band. Great run of singles in the 90s. Mm, absolutely. Great, as you say, that they're back together or have been now yes. for five years. I, I just want one more thing about Glassman. Just come back to it. I'm sure I well, go have on. this moan every year, so I've just got to get it out <laughs> yeah, of my system. Yeah, why not, eh? The flags. Why, oh, why, oh, why do they allow people to ruin the view of the overwhelming mm. majority by letting people fly enormous flags at the mm. front of the audience? Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I just, I'm just I'll probably come back to that subject in one year exactly. I mean, it now. could be worse. It could be someone sitting on their boyfriend's oh, the friend's shoulders. Oh. 
I, I, I remember to- John Peel saying, why did I do it? There was an angry V of people behind yes. all of those people yes. that cannot see anything. Although the worst thing ever of that sort of incident, not at Glastonbury Festival, but my parents' local village hall was when they had a show that was on with local people and everyone went to watch and somebody's wife got out her iPad and held it up to oh, film gosh. the performance. I mean, it's one thing yeah. filming on your phone. You only may be getting one person's way. The iPad blocked several Andy, angry people until she was persuaded that she did not need an iPad to film a village show in a village where 50 people live. You know that thing that blokes with too much testosterone do, they paintballing, where they oh, go in yes. the, around woods shooting paintballs. Yes, so, yes. I think on the on the sides of the stage at Glastonbury and other festivals, there should be people with paintball guns. And if people get up on other people's shoulders, you should be allowed to sort of have free shots with a paintball <laughs> gun. I mean, uh, that would be that would be great, wouldn't it? Because then you could do like a sort of a package deal. So you could say. Come and have your stag do at Glastonbury and you'll get a discount if you're willing to shoot members of the crowd with paintballs. What about that business model could go wrong, Sati? Absolutely nothing. I think nothing. it's a fabulous what, where's idea. The, yeah. Where's the issue? By I the guess. way, just in case, you know, anybody's listening and stupid on this, we are joking. <laughs> or am I? <laughs> oh, it's him. It's not me. Lots of okay, fair enough. love GCHQ, um, etc. Yes. I have no idea if it's um, successful commercially, but certainly successful in my household is the television channel Talking mm. Pictures TV. Oh, yes. Free I'm a to- big fan of Talking Pictures. Yeah. It's great. Free to air on Sky, Virgin, Freeview, Freesat in the UK. Its purpose is a simple one, to entertain by broadcasting vintage film and television shows. What could yes. possibly be controversial about that? Well, mm. Ofcom, the Office of Communications, the regulatory body for broadcasting, has warned talking pictures about television shows in particular that feature racial slurs and language that may have been seen as normal at the time, but are now thought to be offensive. And Ofcom warned the channel several times that now uh, talking pictures TV have to run a little stinger before some shows that says on the screen, and I quote, some viewers may be offended by the language and attitudes uh, attitudes expressed by some characters which reflect the time it was made. Now we seem to have developed uh, generally into an era where people, especially young people, are far more sensitive than previous generations. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Mm. This is not me saying all these woke young people at yes. all. No, fair enough. But, but Jules... Are we in danger of going too far in our current world of trigger warnings? It can be a tough old world out there. And by possibly overprotecting, we give young people in particular the feeling that they must have an attack of the vapours if someone uses a bad word. And also we're in danger of censoring history. Well, so so we, we were prompted to talk about this by Terence finding uh, an article which was very interesting by Simon Heffer in The Telegraph. Obviously, regular listeners will know this is not a publication that I necessarily reach for. But having said that, I, we do see some interesting things in it. And the things that you pick, Terence, are always quite, quite thought provoking. And I'm most mind that the most persuasive point that I found in this article was not necessarily the centering of history. It was um, it, it, it basically was the idea that 
we are quick to censor things from the past. Yet now, the la- particularly on the point of swearing, which I think is an interesting one, some of the language that is used in modern day stuff is really foul, and we seem to be able to we seem to be able to be happy if modern day stuff is offensive. Yet we seem we seem to have a very shifting view of what is offensive and what isn't. So, for example. You know, there are there are certain things now that would be seen on TV, there are certain language things that you would never, ever hear back in the day that you do now. Having said that, though, some censoring things about race, perhaps that makes more, more sense to censor. I'm not sure, although he does make the point, and I do like this, actually. This is a nice quote. He says, I did see only a year or two ago a screening of the Dam Busters in which the now distasteful name of Guy Gibson's dog was remarkably not removed. However, the same word, spoken by both Jonah Greenwood and Dennis Price in one late scene, has just been edited out of Kind Hearts and Coronets, which I consider not just the greatest film in British cinema, but a landmark of our culture to rank with a great cathedral of Vaughan Williams Symphony. The removal of the exchange in which the word is twice uttered is an entirely shameful act, like slashing a painting in a gallery as a political protest. Now, I'm not sure if I could be quite as florid as him on that, but what what I take from that is that we're not always very consistent in how we apply it. So yes. if you are going, and of course the difficulty is if you are going to go down this road, it is a mammoth task and you are always going to miss stuff and that is then going to cause problems. So so I think in, in I quite like the approach of putting a card up beforehand rather than editing something, which I do think is a bit weird. I think it's better. You're better off with the talking pictures card saying, look, this was of its time. You know, you will you, you take this of its time, if you see what I mean. And I think that the, but I think it's particularly interesting do we do that now if if stuff comes? Occasionally, I think we do. I mean, like when there are things on TV about, um, um, you know, the trafficking of people or, you know, uh, those sort of things or murders. It, it, it's a bit strange in that people, producers seem to be obsessed with the ideas of making dramas about women being murdered in often quite grisly circumstances and children going missing. These seem to be big things. Mm. And you'd think that those would be quite and I, I, I know the word triggering is used sort of in a slightly derisory context mm. now, but I would like to use it genuinely here. That could be quite triggering and quite distressing for a lot of people, I think, potentially. Yeah, and yet those things are the things that are in vogue, aren't they? Those things are being mm. made a lot. And yet there there might be a warning at the beginning saying this may contain scenes that some viewers might start, might find distressing and of course the omnipresent bbc action line might pop up at the end mm. that's usually for soaps isn't it mm. if you and, and of course we will both advise people that if you've been offended by any of the context in this podcast please do call the bbc action line on 0300 um but but it so it seems a bit strange to me that i'm probably i mean i know you're very anti-censorship and I'm probably a bit more sympathetic to it than you having said that Simon Heffer's article did make me think a bit around the contradictions of the standards that we hold makers of things to now are they a different perhaps lower standard to the to the standards we're retrospectively applying to people having said that I I find racial slurs so offensive that in a way I'm sort of quite pleased they are removed. So I don't see kind hearts and coronets. I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful film, but I'm not quite sure it's like slashing a painting. Having said that, 
why leave it in the dam busters? Why not be consistent? I, fi- I find that really strange. And I find the idea that, you know, that that there isn't a warning card or, or perhaps a big a sort of a, there isn't as much of a song and dance made about the fact that I'm going to sit and see some woman dug up in a lay by mm. in a you know and and maybe maybe the argument against that is that you all, you're sort of buying into that if you're watching a program that is a police program maybe you know maybe that's what you should expect having said that though there are other crimes guys that you can make you can make dramas about and other sorts of victims and and I find that really frustrating so I'm not quite sure how I feel about this, but I certainly think that we can we can think. I certainly think that there is maybe a conversation to be had about, you know, the standards you are applying now. It's all very well, and, and to some extent, I agree with some things of putting them into context. But you know, can you not make these endlessly graphic murder dramas about women, you know, and, and being killed by serial killers? How is that acceptable? when when stuff in the past apparently isn't it's a shame that the word uh trigger or triggering has become mm. almost a symbol of derision because it actually is a very i think it's a very serious issue yes, and i absolutely. think it's a very genuine thing i mean i i, I personally have a, a sort of if you like a, a how we describe it a mental state where i can be triggered by things i see on tv and they mm. stay with me for, for, for years absolutely and so you know i think it is it, it does exist and it is a serious issue one thing that just we were talking about, about um uh, talking pictures tv and their little yes. placard before the yes. program stuff it just reminded me briefly it just it just came back to me some mm. older viewers or listeners sorry uh, well viewers <laughs> of channel participants, four. yes <laughs> yeah no, no, there will be viewers of channel four but listeners to us mm. um viewers of channel four in the 19 mid 1980s i remember a very brief experiment that channel four did where anything that might be considered offensive or adult content mm. whatever you want to call it yeah. they had a a red triangle in the in the Ooh. corner of the screen well, for the entirety of the program. Yes. And um, it proved quite a controversial topic at the time mm. because people said, well, you know, it's first of all, it's going to be um, uh, an advertisement for people to say, oh, you must watch yes. this. This is going to be dodgy. And um, some people found it incredibly distracting, mm. um, but also that it was completely ineffective. And I do remember it was just quietly dropped yes. after about six months. Do you remember that uh, other thing that used to be a bit annoying and distracting? The thing that used to come on commercial TV. TV, so this wouldn't apply to the B, I don't think. On commercial TV, when I was growing up, there used to be a little thing. The like flickering a thing to say in, the adverts. In, yeah, in the top right-hand corner that yeah. like three minutes before would start flickering. And I used to, you know, we used to flip in our house between that is so annoying, this is really distracting me. Particularly when I started getting migraines in my teens. Speaking <laughs> of triggering, it was often quite triggering on my yeah. migraines with this flashing light. Having said that, it was also quite a good excuse to send someone to go and make some tea. You so the ads so, are coming yeah exactly it was like oh well i won't go to the loo now because i know that, that the ads are coming up and if it was something like i don't know if it would have been in the year of midsummer murders but the people my dad always said that and i think he might have got this off terry wogan on, on radio too and he was he's still doing that that you could always tell when the murders would happen in midsummer murders because they would happen every 15 minutes because it would be just before an ad break <laughs> and and so you know it, presumably a flicking light or or somebody in midsummer having someone walk up behind them you'd know when to put you know not to go to the toilet until that happened it, it, but, it was, sorry go on no, 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 no. Just, just. I was going to say about your, your, your trigger, your point about triggering, which I think is a really good one. 
and I think we might have, I might have made this point previously when we've talked about triggering other contexts, but I'm sorry, like you, that it's become this kind of generation snowflake kind of thing. Because actually, I think to say something at the start of something and, and you know, perhaps to some extent, you know, we've talked, I think there's been talk previously about, you know, fallouts between the National Students' Union and their conference and them encouraging people not to clap because that is triggering for some oh, people. Yeah. And is, is that being too sensitive? I don't mm-hmm. know. But I don't know the circumstances of, of how people are traumatised by that. So I don't want to make a comment on that. But for stuff that is genuinely quite serious stuff that could be quite upsetting, like, you know, the sort of discussion of maybe loss of a child or something mm-hmm. like that. I think to say beforehand, look, we're going to talk about this or we're going to show this. This is going to be a thing that happens. This, particularly if it's like a, a long running series like Silent Witness or something like that, which you might watch every week, or soaps particularly, there is a storyline mm. saying this. Actually, for all that we've just been slightly mocking about the BBC action line, I think just to give like trigger warnings and to give sort of things to funnel people to at the end if they have found it difficult. It's an act of kindness, isn't it, really? It's an act of consideration. It it's it's, yeah. it's an act of, 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 you know, acknowledging the fact that some people might find this difficult. And I think that's a that's a nice thing. And I I I'm sorry that, you know, that, that some people find that difficult. But in a way, I'm quite glad that we have them. So but but to, to, but maybe they're more valuable about some things than they are others. I'm not sure. But um yeah, I'm, I like you. I found myself, and my I've seen my mum be triggered by stuff on TV before, mm. and that's really hard. That's that's difficult. The the, the um, flickering business in the top right hand corner. Oh, yes. Coming back to that, I could be could be wrong. Stand to be corrected. All those yeah. sort of phrases, but um, I I rather think that in a pre digital era, it was simply I think London alerting regional TV. Mm companies stations to cue the commercials so it was to to let uh, I, I think there was some sort of code in it that counted down mm. to the regional tv stations oh, I see. to cue in oh, the, the, the commercials which were oh, as i say in a pre-digital sense. world were were run independently you know like oh, TV, well, that, Anglia, that makes, yes you know, that Southern makes TV, much Meridian. more sense mm. you always know more about this stuff <laughs> than me. that makes a lot of sense in that fascinating article in the telegraph by that simon heffer writes very well by the way um he gave an example of the Sweeney, a British police drama. It was hugely popular in the 70s and it showed a more realistic portrayal of policing in London that had ever been seen before, shown mm. before. Reruns are often shown on ITV4 during the day. And now there is a lot of dodgy language in it, jaw dropping misogyny and mm. touches of racism. And at the time. The real flying squad were enmeshed in bribery, widespread mm. corruption, and it's often widely reported used dodgy language, misogynistic and mm. racist. So what are television companies to do? Are they not to transmit shows at all? I know you mentioned that you're comfortable with the warning at the beginning. My view is that we have to see and know about such things. Being informed, rather like the Dam Busters as well, being informed of the past helps us I think, or make a better sense of behaviour and decision-making in the future. I think that's probably right. And I think that in that case, having the warning at the beginning is the best bridge between still showing these things so that we could watch them. But if we are showing things that are really upsetting for people and spark things that they, bad things that they have experienced, then that's a good way of them not having to do that. So I think actually the warning brings those two points together. 
Coming right up, a simple question. Who wins, the Beatles or the Stones? Oh, man. I mean, it's always nice to break new ground, isn't it, on this podcast? We'll we'll give you the final definitive answer. (laughs) Don't worry about that. That's next after Ashwad.
whose music fits in perfectly when we get a good tranche yes. of sunshiny days. Um, they had a fantastic run of hit singles in the UK from the mid 80s to the mid 90s. This mm. one, this one reached number five in 1994. Great band, yep. Aswad and Shine. I bought a 100% reggae compilation on tape simply on the strength of this because I loved this so much. And we found it in the supermarket and I saw that it had this on it and I could not resist it as a, as a young person. I love this song. I love Aswad generally. They played the St. Leonard's Festival some years ago. I wasn't able to attend, sadly, but were much loved by all. And that song is so infectious, I think. it's it's It really sparkles and it doesn't seem to have aged very much either, considering it's getting on for 20 years old. So no big fan. The, any, oh, um, no, great... no, not 20 years. I was going on for 30 years old, Terence. Yeah. Goodness me, I'm yeah. ageing. My apologies. Yeah, 27 years old. Man. Um, any greatest hits compilation of Aswad is just mm. a terrific thing to Yes, very much And We've been talking about Glastonbury this week, and by a twist of fate, while mm. the Rolling Stones are bashing away in Hyde Park on Saturday evening, at the same time, Sir Paul McCartney is headlining on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. Ever since I was a young boy, I've played the silver ball. No, um, ever since I was <laughs> I was going to say, from Soho down to Brighton, you must have played them all. Yes, indeed. <laughs> ever since I was young, the question is often raised, and in the 60s, it was like a badge of honour, mm. the Beatles or the Stones. You, you <laughs> yes. couldn't like both, it, it, it seemed. Mm. And we yes, mo- I, 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 it still pertains to this day, I suspect. I about three years ago, I uh, three or four years ago, I entered into a relationship with someone and mentioned to a friend of mine who is a political friend of mine that we had differing views on the Beatles versus the Rolling Stones, to which this friend just replied, wedge issue. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it mm-hmm. still is. Well, there we are. I mean, we, we may feel the members of both bands couldn't be bothered with all this rivalry, but... In 2015, Keith Richards gave an interview to Esquire magazine in mm. which he called Sergeant Pepper a mishmash of rubbish and Ooh. that the Beatles' music had no roots. Then, last year, 2021, Paul McCartney told The New Yorker that the Rolling Stones are, I quote, a blues cover band. He <gasps> said, I know, he said the Beatles, quote, net was cast wider than the Stones when it comes to music. Mm. So, Jules, Need you to help uh, settle this, please. Um, obviously, I'll be giving the definitive answer in a, in a, in a minute. Um, <laughs> Thanks, for mansbla- Thanks for Terence explaining that for me. I appreciate it. Who wins, Jules, the Beatles or the Stones? <laughs> well, I'm very sorry to hear that they've fallen out because I oh. always thought they had quite a mutual respect for each other. And oh. actually, there's an argument, and we might again have said this previously, but that neither would have been as good without the other to push them on. You would say that. I know that the Paul McCartney certainly feels that about Brian Wilson and the, and the Beach Boys. But you could say the same thing for having two bands of that quality, the Beatles and the Stones, operating in the same country at the same time. Um, they, I always felt, I feel they're musically quite different, the two of them. So I've always, maybe they were just the two biggest bands in the country at the time, in the same way that Oasis and Blur were pitted against each other when they were making music that was fairly different as well. Um, the, it's 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 a it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I think, you know, when I used to I used to always shout at men that I used to meet, young men who used to meet in pubs when I was younger, because they would just go, "Do you prefer the Beatles or the Stones?" And I say, "Look, I'm going to give you the answer, and you're 
you're going to tell me it's wrong because I'm going to say the Beatles and you're going to tell me that's wrong. So should we just not bother with this charade because it's tedious and I don't want to go out with you anyway. And, and you know, I saved a lot of time with that, Terence. That was a really good tactic to have. And actually, I and I made some real friends through that because they admired the fact that I was so well let's face it rude in in, in my response and and you know and and occasionally you know you could just say the kinks and then watch that watch the things unfold but um I I mean I think that you're not saying which one is better when I think most people do pick I think most people have a preference there aren't many people I think that, that like them both equally and I think quite a lot most people I think like one or the other at least and uh, for me when you're saying when you say who is better I can't tell you which one is better mm. I can just tell you which one I like more and I think there are a lot of people who claim that they've got some sort of you know artistic insight and they can tell you that the Stones are better because they've got these guitar solos or the Beatles are better because they went to India and that contextualizes them and all that kind of stuff I don't think anyone's really doing that I think someone's just picking who they like more and I you know and that's fine people are allowed to like things more than another but you know can we not just have this idea i hate this kind of snobbery mm. and you know my ex-partner preferred the rolling stones i do like the beatles more there's an argument i think that the beatles perhaps might appear to be their body of work might appear to be stronger because it is more compact because they stopped after after eight or nine years didn't they whereas the rolling stones have kept going and have they released many good records since 1980 no. well we we saw this we saw this this set list recently and it is very apparent that there's very apart from ghost town was there was no there was no record released since 1970 i think or something or 1975 or something it was really probably um only rock and roll but i like it would probably be the most me... would it be i'm just i'm just trying to find i'm trying to look up our conversation mm. very professionally whilst we're speaking but um but it's it's but it, it for me, I like the Beatles more. I find more in the I find more in the Beatles music that keeps me going back repeatedly. Whereas with the Rolling Stones, I have all the Beatles albums that I listen to really regularly. With the Rolling Stones, I have a couple of their albums that I really like and a couple of hits compilations that I completely batter because their singles are absolutely amazing. But but then that is my preference. On my view of whether or not I think they're better is that I just I just happen to like them more, you know? I just think they're I just I just it, it, they work more for me. But that doesn't mean that I have some great critical insight. And I, I my apologies to every music critic ever, because I think there is a case a, a place in music criticism. But I don't know. I, I the Beatles do more for me, but they're both really great bands and I'm glad they're both along. That's my boringly non controversial opinion. I'm guessing. I, I mean, I don't not not a hugely knowledgeable one. So maybe it's um, "Start Me Up" is the most recent, probably. Mm. But anyway, yeah. as you say, and, and Ghost Town as well. That oh, that seems to be. Do yeah. they do they do that live? Okay. Yes, they, uh, it did do that live recently. Okay. Um, no, you're right. Clearly, we can only go by our own experiences, p- feelings, and opinions. H- here's a hint for my feelings. I have every Beatles album and every single. I have no Stone singles. I've got one album, Sticky Fingers, mm. and I'm not sure I've ever played it. Um, 
I've seen the Rolling Stones live once in 2013 in Hyde Park. Oh, yes, you did. I remember you going to do this. Yeah, Yeah. to my amazement, I thought they really lacked stage presence. Mm. They were all clustered together centre stage with only really Mick Jagger offering any sort of mobility mm. or enthusiasm. I've, on the other side, I've seen Paul McCartney, obviously too young to have seen the Beatles, but um, mm. I, would, I would have been too young to see the Beatles. I've seen Paul McCartney a couple of times and... Um, burst into tears on both occasions so me. well i get that as someone that cried in abbey road i do absolutely yeah, understand absolutely. that i never play stones music from spotify but the beatles collectively and solo are always being played so i can give you the definitive answer the <laughs> beatles are the best band ever in every way the rolling stones are not the beatles win well, I mean, that seems fair to me, although I will come back and say slightly in terms of what the people want, although the people, of mm. course, are not you, so they're not correct. But um, whenever I've DJed out. Oh, yes. Um, Rolling Stone songs are better for dancing. I guess they are. Large. Yeah, so, yeah. so Jumping Jack Flash, I play. Much more riffy, regularly. aren't they? Lots yes, of they riffs are. Brown about. Sugar, that goes well. Although, obviously, we've talked about the difficulties of the of the vocal to that now. But, yes. um, um, you know, uh, Satisfaction. There are a couple of Beatles numbers that I would play out if people were dancing. Paperback Writer is good for dancing. Mm. And I've played Rain at the beginning of gigs before. Oh, yes. seem to have liked that. But, um. But yeah, there aren't there aren't many Beatles songs that are sort of upbeat, boppy numbers. Hey, you get off my cloud. The Rolling Stones have got a lot of up numbers that mm. are beat numbers. Fair the point. Rolling Stones mm. are more of a, well, ironically, although the Beatles are called the Beatles, the mm. Rolling Stones, I think, are more of a beat group if you listen to the music that they do. So, so actually, in terms of what you want them for. Perhaps the Rolling Stones are the going to the pub band and the Beatles are sitting on your lovely sofa at home band. Sitting in your English garden waiting for the, sun, the sun. the Beatles, yeah. <laughs> Interesting that... Um... It, it, the, the the stones probably have to censor or not play an incredibly large yes. uh, amount of songs from their back catalogue, and the only uh, concession that Paul McCartney's had to make in the in the last twenty thirty years is that just recently he stopped playing back in the USSR. So mm. I think possibly um, the, the Stones really. Uh, it's mm. it is a real negative for me. Some of the lyrics mm. uh, from particularly the older songs um, just don't don't uh, sit well with me. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you along. Yeah, and it's lovely to be back on this thing again with mm. Sir T and with you all. I'm delighted. Now, I've got a tip for everybody. On Sunday, I have the perfect way for you mm. to lead up to Kendrick Lamar at Glastonbury. Listen to Juliet's radio show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What could better get you in the mood for Kendrick Lamar's extremely expansive, often quite edgy and menacing rap? He's brilliant, by the way. I'm looking forward to seeing Kendrick Lamar class and be very, very much. But um, what better to to eat to to hype yourself up for that by listening to two hours of easy listening and exactly. your rock and M O R with me? Um, if you want to save, if you want to watch Kendrick, do you can always save this for another time. So so smooth sailing is this that I'm talking about. My show on uh, on Noisebox Radio. Um, we will be doing this live from seven to nine p.m. on a Sunday evening, as Terence rightly says. However, if you wish to catch up. Go on to Mixcloud and search Noisebox Radio and you can catch up with the previous shows if indeed you were hyped up for Kendrick and you just want to smooth sail another time. A lovely track from 
an underrated band to play us out, Jules. Yes, indeed. As, as both you and I have been plagued recently and in true well, BBC Action Line style. Perhaps yes. you or somebody you know has recently been plagued as well. I sense so. Well, we have no Action Line to offer you, I'm afraid. But um, I was reminded, whilst, you know, on my, whilst riding the Cavonia ball of cough syrup uh, yes. most evenings recently, of this wonderful track from a band that I've always really liked from the first time I heard them, Everything Everything, quite a, they're a band that are difficult to characterise, I think, because they have quite an interesting sound. I saw them live supporting Foles some years ago, and they were great. I really enjoyed them, and so did my friend that went with me, who didn't know them so well. And I love this tune because I think it's to to to, uh, to to structure this around somebody coughing. I think is a really clever thing to do. <laughs> I mean, they might get not very not very many plays in the COVID era. And actually, my my genuine apologies if this is triggering for you. But um, to to hark back yes. to earlier, but um, the, I I love the sort of itchy drums on this, and I think it's a really good. I think I, I just, it's very on, onomatopoeic, is that the word? But I think it's a great, yes. yeah. to sort of weave this all in, I think it's great. It's an incredibly edgy and interesting track. This is Everything, Everything and Cough, Cough. Yeah, so, wait a second. Yeah, so, wait a second. Yeah, so, wait a second. Yeah, so, wait a second.
that eureka moment hits you like a cup And you wake up just head and shoulders in a glass jar You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>